It has been said by many people that life is a series of moments. If this is true, a reasonable question would be, how long are these moments? In medieval times, a moment was an exact unit of measurement, equal to 90 seconds. Today, it is more commonly associated with the idea of the present moment. And a common estimate is that it lasts up to three seconds. That suggests that you experience about 20,000 moments in a waking day, 60,000 in a month, and as many as 500 million of them in a 70-year lifespan. As human beings, it seems that we are trying to do two things with these moments in our lives. We want to fully experience them when we are in them, and we want to vividly remember them looking back. Nobel laureate Daniel Kahneman talks about our two selves, an experiencing self who is concerned with and only lives in the present, and the remembering self, the one who keeps score and records the story of our life. Often we try to serve both masters, the experiencing and the remembering self. When we do that, however, we may be failing to effectively satisfy either of them. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, sports, and pop culture. On this week's show, we explore the balance between experiencing your life and documenting it. We ask you to get creative and share with us what Where There's Smoke means to you. And I talk to the man with the red rubber ball, Kevin Carroll, about the power of presence, wonder, and play in your life and business. My name is Brett Gaida, and I am your host. Uh, I've had the experience when I go out and perform in front of people where all I see is a sea of iPads and yeah. you just see screens because they're recording it for later. You know, someone told me it was in France or something, I think they were talking about Iggy Pop or something, did an amazing jump into the crowd and some amazing moment happened with him and then everybody who was there all pulled out their phones and were filming the moment but nobody was f in the moment, everyone was documenting the moment. Also, more importantly, they couldn't catch him. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody was in the moment. Everyone was documenting the moment. That was musician Jack White on The Conan Show last year. And just last week, there were articles trending online about Jack asking the audience at Coachella to put their phones away. Come on, L.A., clap your hands and put your cell phones down for five seconds. Come on! And Jack certainly isn't the first or the only artist to make this sort of statement or request. Prince, She and Him, the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, and Bjork are just some of the artists that have banned or requested no photography at their shows. The post-punk group Savages have a sign at their shows that reads, We believe that the use of phones to film and take pictures during a gig prevents all of us from totally immersing ourselves. Take out the trash, Dan. The trash is anything that is keeping you from the only thing that matters. This moment. What is it that has put us in this position where we're more interested in documenting what's right in front of us than experiencing it? It's almost like many of you have experienced what it's like to love someone or lust after someone, to have that incredible passion and connection with someone. And maybe some of you haven't yet. For those of you who have, imagine you are standing in front of someone you have that incredible attraction for, that energy, that tension, love, lust, connection. Actually, I want you to go back to the last time you had an incredible makeout session. And for some of you, 
that might tragically be years ago. I mean, we could almost have a whole other podcast aimed at people over 30 and others who have been in relationships for a long time on the lost art of the makeout session. But I digress. Take yourself back. Wait, are, are we really doing this? Oh, we're doing it. Come on, Nick. Bring the makeout. Sounds, music. Okay, whatever you say, Brett. Let's do it. There it is. Thanks, Nick. As I was saying, take yourself back. Maybe it's a few hours or a few decades. Take yourself back to the last time you had a really incredible makeout session. You're with that person, looking into their eyes, feeling that pull. You lean into them. And just before you are about to let loose, it's like releasing greyhounds out of the starting gate. All that fire, all that passion, all that tension, all that excitement. And you say, wait, hold on a second. Um, let, let me just step out here. I'm, I'm going to grab my phone over here and I'm, I'm going to have someone else step in here and make out with you instead of me because I really, I, I want to film it. I want to document it. I, I want to make sure that I, that I don't forget it. <laughs> well, that's what we're doing at concerts when we pull out our phones to record the experience rather than have the experience that is all around us. To stand and just be looking at it through my phone is a completely wasted opportunity. You're really missing a sensory experience. It's one of the things about, about gigs. It's taking in what's going on with the people around you and watching it on a little screen. Just, what a waste of time. And this behavior to document moments over experiencing them it extends far beyond just concerts. It exists in almost all areas of our life. At parties, with kids, randomness on the street, hanging out with friends, hanging out on our own, travel, weddings, events, even meeting celebrities. Here is George Clooney speaking to NPR's Robert Siegel. You'll reach out to shake their hand and they've got a camera in their hand and they don't even get their hand out because they're recording the whole time. And you can tell people that you recorded Brad Pitt, but it'd be very hard for you to say you actually met him because you were watching it all through your, your phone. I think that that's too bad because I think people are experiencing less and recording more. Now, to be clear, we understand that there are many different reasons why people want to record something. There are times when I'm recording my three-year-old and my major intention is I'm thinking about how cool it'll be for him to watch that video when he's 16, 17 years old. There are a lot of times when people document things just to post them online and prove they were there. And I'm sure there are all kinds of psychological drivers behind that behavior. But we are not addressing that behavior here today. We are here to talk about those times when we're doing it because we want to be able to relive a moment, to remember it, capture it. Well, here's the thing about that, at least in the way most of us are doing it, it doesn't work. In your attempt to both experience the moment and capture it to remember later, you in fact decrease your ability to do either. A couple of years ago, psychologist Linda Henkel published a paper in Psychological Science on the influence of taking photos on memory. In it, she shares an experiment where she sends a group of students to an art museum. The students were asked to simply look at some objects while they were asked to take photos of others. Afterward, she gave them a memory test to see which objects they remembered best, the photographed ones or the ones they just looked at. 
laboratory. She shared her findings on NPR's All Things Considered last year. Before, and what the results showed was was what I called a photo taking impairment effect. The objects that they had taken photos of, they actually remembered fewer of them and remembered fewer details about those objects. Like, where how was this statue's hands positioned? Why does this happen? Well, the core explanation is that by using an external device to record the event, in this case, a camera, you tell your brain, hey, you don't really have to register or process this information because the camera's got it covered. This is the same principle used in many time management programs. You're taught to write everything down. This way you remove the need to recall the information, allowing you to focus on action and execution. And in that realm, it works great. It frees your mind up. But when the primary goal is recollection, when you want your brain to focus on remembering something, mm, outsourcing the job, not so effective. And here's the other thing about this phenomenon. We take photos and videos so we can look at them and relive the moments, and then we just don't. We shoot hours of video and take thousands of pictures, and we never watch or look at any of them again, certainly not 90% of them. At least it used to be that we would selectively snap photos, knowing there was a finite amount of photos available on a roll. Then we would develop the pictures, wait a day or two, pick them up, look at all the photos to see how they turned out, and put them in albums. We would also gather around and watch our home movies together. Now at best, maybe some of you have them in a slideshow on your TV as a screensaver. And at worst, you have 65 gigs of photos and videos on your laptop that you've never looked at. As psychology professor Marianne Gary put it on All Things Considered. Then they've got a thousand photos. And then they just dump the photos somewhere and don't really look at them very much because it's too difficult to tag them and organize them. Before this all gets misconstrued, I'm not here to say don't document things. Don't take pictures. Don't take videos. I already mentioned my three-year-old earlier, and in moments when he is doing something cute, I immediately want to video it. And if I miss recording it, I'm bummed that I did. And I think that is a common feeling. Maybe for me, some of that feeling is fueled by knowing what it's like to not have that documentation. You know, my father died when I was 18 years old. He was 50. In a few weeks, it'll be 26 years since he passed. The only recorded memories I have of him are photographs and some old Super 8 footage. I remember just a few years after he was gone, realizing that I didn't have any audio of my dad's voice and thinking that someday I wouldn't even know what it sounded like anymore. All we have is that Super 8 footage from when I was a kid, no sound. So I can watch it and see us running around the backyard while my dad and his buddies chop down a tree. I can see him moving. I can see him smile. I can see he's talking, but I can't hear his voice. And there is no way for me to know anymore what his voice really sounded like, because all I have left is a memory, a 26-year-old memory that fades more every year, a memory that morphs and shifts, becoming just an idea of his voice based on the previous year's idea of his voice, based on the previous year's idea of his voice. And if one of my aunts or my cousins suddenly said, oh my gosh, we found a videotape of your dad and I could hear his voice again? Whoa, I mean, that would be so cool. But I don't need it. I mean, I'm sure it would stir emotion in me and it'd be neat, but 
Everything valuable my father left me is not in a picture or a card or what I could hear in a recording. It is in the experiences of the moments we shared. Experiences I will always remember. And it is in what I took away from my experience of him, who I am because of who he was. And that brings us full circle, back to Daniel Kahneman speaking in his TED Talk entitled, The Riddle of Experience Versus Memory. In it, he addresses these 20,000 moments we have each day. And you can ask, what happens to these moments? And the answer is really straightforward. They are lost forever. Now, this is hard for some people to hear because we seem to believe that each of these moments matter, and we want to hold on to so many of them. But you know what? They don't. Most of them are irrelevant. And so maybe the first solution in this battle between your experienced self and your remembering self is to stop thinking that you have to remember everything. I mean, can you imagine remembering 20,000 moments a day, every day? We'd go mad. Plus, it's also important that we forget some things, right? It allows us to move on, to heal, to grow, to change. And so they are gone, and most of them leave without a trace. Let them go. Just trust that you'll grab the important ones. You'll squeeze a few hundred of them together from time to time when it matters to you, and you'll remember those. Secondly, be aware of what you want and choose consciously. In each moment, you get to decide if you want to be in the moment or documenting it, if you want to play or watch, participate or record. Neither is right or wrong, good or bad. It's just about how you want to be there and maybe even striking a balance between the two. Lesson not just karate only. Lesson for whole life, whole life have a balance. Everything be better. And the last suggestion, it's a bit more practical. You need to review the photos and the videos that you take. Because right now, most of us don't even look at the pics or watch the videos. We are so desperate to electronically capture a moment, and then we never look at it. Research says that reviewing your photos and videos will improve your memory of the event. And this makes total sense to me. As a business trainer and speaker, I see this all the time. People take a course, they love it, they take a ton of notes, they have all these good intentions of the changes they're going to make, and then they leave the room. They go back to their desk, put their notebook from the course on a shelf, and they forget about it. A month later, they come across their notes again and they think, oh yeah, that was a great class, I've got to go through these notes sometime. And they put them back on the shelf again. A few months after that, they come across them again and they think, I'm never going to review those notes. And into the circular file, they go. Whether it be knowledge or in this case memories, the way to avoid losing your intention is to activate it through review. While the moments are still relatively fresh, we give our experiencing selves a chance to impress upon our remembering selves. By reviewing the photos and videos in short order, you link the specifics of the moments to those photos. The photos become triggers for your mind. What if you set aside a few hours once a month and went through your digital photos and videos from the past 30 days? 
delete many, keep a few, maybe even choose a number that you'll keep. As you do this, relive the moments those images came from. Cement some of the memories in your mind and let the other moments go. I think, I don't know, but I think that as we look back on our lives and reflect as people do, with enough distance, I believe we will accept everything that happened. We will embrace everything we experienced. We will be grateful for all the joy and all the pain. We will be grateful for all the tears and all the laughter. We will be grateful for all the failures as well as the successes. But our biggest regrets, if we have any, will be wrapped in a feeling that there were moments in our life that we failed to experience. We failed to really be there for. To experience life is the greatest gift we have been given. And if we use technology effectively, it can help us to hold on to some of these experiences. But we must also accept that we will forget so much more than we will remember. That many moments are lost forever. And you know what? Maybe that's the way it was supposed to be. Maybe moments truly are for the experiencing self only. Maybe the remembering self was never meant to have them anyway. Hey listeners, this is Brett. So I am a big believer in using your voice and expressing yourself. That can be literal, meaning expressing yourself in spoken words, or figuratively, expressing yourself through any other means, pictures, written words, music, etc. So Nick and I have some questions for you. What does where there's smoke mean to you? Why does it matter to you? How do you feel about it? Over these past few weeks, we've been really moved by some of what our listeners have been sharing with us. Afia Busumtui in Germany sent me a birthday message through Facebook that made my heart swell. And 64-year-old Damien Parker in Australia emailed that our show has helped rekindle some of the ideas he had earlier in his career. We would love to hear from you. Tell us or show us what Where There's Smoke means to you. And that can look any way you like. Get creative. You know, maybe a picture of you and your dog listening to some self-development on your morning walk. Or ask your barista to put the letters WTS in the top of your latte and snap a photo of that. Write a poem, a haiku, or just a good old-fashioned note from the heart. And then share it. You can email it to us directly at connect at where there's smoke.co or share it with the world. Post it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Vine, LinkedIn, wherever. And be sure to tag one of us or the show so we get to enjoy it as well. Also, if you literally want to use your voice, you can leave us a voicemail on our website. There's a 99.7% chance we'll put a clip of it in the show. Go to wherethersmoke.co and scroll down to the orange voicemail button that says start recording. And last, but far from least, you can share what Where There's Smoke means to you in a written review on iTunes. These reviews warm our hearts, they drastically help our exposure on iTunes, and they help other potential new listeners go, huh, maybe I'm going to check that out. And that, as you will hear today's guest share in the second half of the show, is playing it forward. We are super excited to hear what you all have to say. What does Where There's Smoke mean to you? Get creative and share it with us. Thank you for lending us your ears and being the community that rocks.
In some ways, there is an unintentional link between last week's show and this week's. Last week, we landed on this idea of being present in each moment, as each moment is the potential start of something amazing and something you'll want to look back on and remember. This week, we talked about how to both engage in these moments and remember them. And I mentioned before the break that you get to decide if you want to play or watch. I've actually found myself thinking a lot about play in the past few weeks, observing how my son is when he's playing, how I can be when I get fully lost in playing with him. And it struck me that play is one of the purest forms of experiencing life. When you are truly playing, you are not anywhere else but in that moment. But the human spirit is more powerful than any drug. And that is what needs to be nourished. With work, play, friendship, family. These are the things that matter. So in all this thought of play, I recently reached out to Kevin Carroll. Kevin is an author, speaker, and change agent whose core message to everyone from CEOs and employees of Fortune 500 companies to parents and school children is to embrace their spirit of play and creativity to maximize their potential. As we first jump into the conversation, I have asked Kevin what he thinks happens to our passion for play as we get older. Why is it that my three-year-old asks me 50 times a day, you want to play? And yet, as adults, we seem to lose this sentiment for play. Well, part of it is you can't just allow when you have a child or a niece or nephew, that's the permission you get to allow you to play. That's one of the problems is that people will wait for that moment to start playing. But otherwise, I need to be very serious. There's serious stuff going on. No one's denying the fact that there's serious (laughs) things going on. But you're also being challenged to come up with solutions to deal with adversity. How do you turn it into an opportunity and not an obstacle? I mean, these this is life. And so much of what we were doing in our childhood, we were solving life problems. They just might not have been on such a grand or, or, or just, you know, maybe life-threatening or challenging level, but they were still important to you when you were three years old, right? And so one of the things I think that we forgot about is just having that curiosity. We lose that sense of curiosity. I talk about the fact that I tell people all the time, we think that all the answers are on a screen now. Hmm. We think that when we look at our screen, we can find everything we need to know and we stop looking up. We literally are looking down at a screen so much. And I always point out that look at this amazing screen called life and everything's in HD and 3D. And yet you're not taking in that stimulus. You're not using that. You're not maximizing that moment. So I have one look up day per week where I spend more time looking up than looking down at a screen, utilizing this bigger screen called life and trying to discover something, having wonders. And I just think that's such an important thing is to be in the practice of that, of curiosity, being forever curious. I think that's one of the things that we forget is a really key thing to discovering new, to identifying an unexpected solution, is that sense of curiosity. And when we're young, we have it. And as people start to tell you to bear down and pay attention and you need to lock in and you need to be more focused, we think that word focus means to narrow. 
And people even do their hands that way, right? You need to be more focused, right? right. And they bring their hands together versus <laughs> you need to be more focused. What if they were broadening their hands? Wouldn't that be a, a shift to really conditioning people away from that idea that I need to narrow and lean down and stare at a screen? Right, Instead, right. I need to look up every once in a while and discover some things. And what if you were in the practice? So one look up day per week has kept me sharp, if you will, right? It's allowed my wonders to remain sharp. And so the sense of wonder, I've always had it. And I love being present because that's when you discover things. But it takes a lot of discipline and energy to be in the moment. Yeah, no, I love that. And one of the things I, I, I talk about, you know, in my life when I'm working with people, coaching people, I try to talk about on the show too is, you know, sometimes when we're trying to make change, we, we try to make these huge changes, you know, like people set New Year's resolutions and they end up just failing. So for some people out there, as you said that, I thought, I love that, right? One look up day a week. And for some people out there, it might just be about start with one look up hour, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, and, and see where it goes from minutes, there. Even five minutes, even five minutes. I mean, it might be, a, it might be hard for them. So you start off, you know, how do you eat that elephant one bite at a time? So you start to create a, a habit a little at a time. You don't overwhelm yourself, but you know, it's going to be better for you. It's the same thing when people start to work out again or movement or, you know, celebrating their physicality. You can't, if you overwhelm yourself, it can be a bad thing. So there's a thing in sports called the SAID principle, S-A-I-D, specific adaptations to impose demands, S-A-I-D, right? So what if you actually started to impose a new demand of looking up, of being curious, but you do it in incremental levels so that you don't overwhelm yourself and it becomes a habit and you get stronger with each time you do it. That's what weight training is about and running, right? It's about imposing a new demand, but just enough that you don't break the body down too much. So it's the same thing with your creative muscle, your curiosity muscle. It's a muscle. It's a habit. So you work it out incrementally you get stronger stronger practice practice next thing you know you're not even thinking about it you're just it's such a an ingrained thing you're just always doing it you don't know anything different right that's awesome i love that kevin spent seven years at nike in a role that they created specifically for him his title was catalyst with a k and he was a creative change agent responsible for helping the company to develop team dynamics and interpersonal communication he understands how play can be transformational in business. As we continue the conversation, I ask him to share some of his experiences. Can you give us an example, Kevin, and it might be an individual that you've worked with or it might be an organization, but something that stands out for you if I were to say, what's an example of how you've seen play, you know, either transform an individual in their leadership or success or transform a workplace? Oh, gosh, I had one organization they actually made, they had a play committee, and they would actually design scenarios or moments where they were addressing something that might be a brand initiative or something. So before they would even go into coming up with brand direction or new ideas, they would actually have a play moment. And so that's the way that they did their dynamic warm up before they actually started coming up with solutions is they came together in play. And in that moment, using that Play-Doh idea, you could discover more about a person in one hour of play than in a year of conversation. They prime the pump. They get everybody going and energized around this initiative, but they use it through games. Right. They used it through a specific gathering, a convening of everyone. And then they would come back from that the next day, let's say. Maybe they went and they played 
um, they, they were doing bowling, but they were going to have an integrated brand effort. So they would mix the teams up specifically. So you're already starting to work in teams, but you're doing it through bowling. These are the teams you're going to be working with. And maybe you hadn't worked with three quarters of the people before. But now I know you through this bowling thing, there's laughter. Anytime there's laughter, that's always a great sign in team building, right? And bringing people together. So there's laughter. There's this casual kind of getting to know each other. There's no titles, right? You get to discover something about someone that you didn't know about them before. Now, when you go into the meeting, there's not the same threats of, oh, well, that person, they're at this level, in management, so I can't really bring up an idea. No, now there's this level of, of respect for each other because we've broken bread before, right? We've had this other time, and I think that really can really bear fruit later on in these projects. So that's one example of how one organization actually used Play With Purpose to uh, prepare themselves for any of their projects. That's really great. That's a great, great example. And I think it's so true. I mean, obviously, I, a lot of people listening have probably experienced that on some level, whether it's you know, you, you, have a, you have a work party for someone's birthday or you have a company softball team or something. And those, you know, those events, when you get out of the workplace and you kind of loosen up, it is often where you see a side of someone you never saw before and they become more human to you. And, and it, you, it kind of changes from, as you said, maybe this feeling of I'm, I'm competing against him to get this job or competing against him to get that person's attention. And so I, I think there's so much truth in that. That's really great. Yeah, well said. And I think it's also the whole notion that it gives you a chance to have some empathy for people right? because maybe when you're in the dugout for softball or leaning against the fence, you just start talking about life. Yeah. You're not, you're not worried about your titles or anything because it really does disarm you. And you start talking about, oh, I didn't know you were dealing with that. I had no idea. Maybe I could assist you or I know someone. And now you get into the meeting and you're not seeing that person just as that title anymore. You're having a level of empathy for them that you wouldn't have had before because you had this casual conversation that turned into a moment of mutual respect or support. I had no idea you were dealing with that. Wow. Okay. Well, how could I help you? And I think that's really what's wonderful about play is it has that ability to create these unexpected connections with each other. And we all have play histories, right? Everybody does. Everybody does. So we all have play recollections and sometimes these moments can bubble up other things. And yeah, they can be really fantastic opportunities to connect on new levels with your teammates and, and the workforce. So bringing this all, all home, Kevin, this has been really, really great. Let me ask one last question. So if, if, if there was one piece of wisdom that you could share with our audience and you knew that they would take it to heart, what would it be? Oh, gosh, I, I would really encourage people to live every day with a level of curiosity and wonder. And if you could ask that one question every day, I wonder what, just like you did when you were three, four, five, six years old, I wonder why, you know, cowboys don't ride cows, they ride horses? Why do they ride horses, right? I mean, isn't that a great question? I got that from a little boy. I wonder what, these are, and we all have wonders, but we don't necessarily speak them out loud, but maybe we need to jot them down or whatever, but be curious. I think that would be the one thing is be forever curious. It will serve you well. Wow. Well, I think that is uh, a powerful idea and a great thing for people to walk away with. And I'm probably going to spend the rest of the day trying to figure out why they're not called horse boys now. Um, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> 
Well, Kevin, thank you again. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. As I mentioned when we first connected, I got to see you speak a few years ago. I, I actually got a red rubber ball. Kevin often throws balls out into the audience. I got a red rubber ball. I played with it for probably about three or four hours, and then I ended up finding a kid and giving it to him. And um, I just always remembered the energy you brought to that event, and, and I'm, I'm thrilled that we got a chance to talk today. Absolutely, Brad. And, and I think that's the whole idea. Play it forward, right? Yeah, Play it go. forward. So you did exactly what I would hope you would do with that. So someone else got to have some joy with that play moment, too. So well done, man. Bravo. <laughs> right on. Thank you, Kevin. And uh, make it a, a playful day. Okay. Be well, man. Peace. Thanks. When I asked Kevin how you can find out more about him, he suggested using your favorite search engine and looking up Kevin Carroll Catalyst with a K, K-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T. His website is kevincarrollcatalyst.com. Again, that is Catalyst with a K. I will also suggest two things. One, go to your online or offline bookstore of choice and get yourself a copy of Kevin's book, Rules of the Red Rubber Ball. Newsweek called it an adult version of Dr. Seuss's Oh, the Places You'll Go, a pocket-sized guide to finding your way in life. And two, Go out and play. Today, tomorrow, let that little kid in you out. Go find a ball and throw it. I mean, when was the last time you rolled down a hill? Just cause. Or slid down a handrail. Or built something out of nothing. I invite you to play. That is almost a wrap for this episode. Hey, if you are enjoying Where There's Smoke and you want to stay plugged into all we're doing, a few things to consider. Join our fan page on Facebook. This week you would have saw a pic of Nick and I's production meeting at the greatest Taco Bell in the universe. And if you've been there, you know that statement is hyperbole free. It is amazing. Where is it, you ask? Well, go to our Facebook page and find out. Also, follow us on Twitter. I am at Brett Gaida and Nick is at Podcast Monster. If you like being in the know, we often leak info on next episodes on social media as well as share photos and thoughts on the process. You can also join our mailing list. Do that on our website where there's smoke.co or on your phone right now simply text the word smoke to 66866 how easy is that and now you know what time it is say it with me shout out first off the biggest of shout outs and gratitude to anna harakovic Anna reviews podcasts for the AV Club's weekly Podmas column. She reviewed our No Fear episode and named it as one of the best of the week. A huge honor for us, as well as a huge boost for the show. You can find a link to that column in the show notes. Thank you, Anna. I want to give some love to our SoundCloud listeners for liking us there. Kimberly Josie in Brazil, Melissa Strom, Ben Deal, William Buckley, Tony Hughes. On Facebook, Lily Panish and Veronica Corazon. Thank you for chiming in. For the Twitter love, thank you. Susan Von Toon, the hopefully sockless Sarah Dillman, at Cartooner with a K, which seems appropriate for this episode, at Dooley, at Anya underscore Jane, at Mr. Podcast for the awesome review and pitch to Gimlet Media, and Paul Chomo for making us aware of the AV Club review in the first place and spreading the word. 
Where There's Smoke is contemplated, conceived, written, rewritten, recorded, edited, produced, marketed, catered, and cared for by Brett Guida and Nick Jaworski. If you are interested in working with Nick to create an awesome podcast, find his company at podcastmonster.com. And if you're interested in having me, Brett, speak at an event, create content with you, or you want to talk coaching, email me through connect at where there's smoke.co. Our theme song was written and performed by Des McKinney with additional music by Kevin McLeod. To see the show notes, which include links to all the clips used in the episode, as well as anything else referenced in the show, go to our website, www.wherethersmoke.co, and there is a link there. I would like to give the episode appreciation honors to NPR's All Things Considered. As we crafted this episode, we discovered an overlap with a couple of their 2014 episodes, and audio from their show was of great service to our show. And so after all this, if you still find yourself unsure of how to most effectively live your moments and manage your memories, perhaps this wisdom from Pee Wee Herman will help. (laughs) Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer! With that, thank you for listening. If you dig the show, please share it. We put out new episodes every Tuesday. We will see you next week.